Okay, let's start in Acts chapter 1. This will be a continuation of last week. Now, if you remember, the Jews were looking for a kingdom. And when Jesus came on the scene, they had a very difficult time with what Jesus was saying for several reasons. But remember, they were looking for relief from the oppression of the Roman Empire, and they were looking for a kingdom. They knew that the Messiah was promised. They knew that from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah was going to bring in a kingdom. And you see this with the Jews and also with the disciples. They were looking for the same thing. That was the main thing that the the Jews at, at that particular time were looking for. And the disciples, of course, came up in that environment, and they had the same thinking, the same mindset. Even being with Jesus for over three years, they still had that mindset. In Acts 1, verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're looking for the kingdom of God in Israel. Jesus being the Messiah and setting up his kingdom there on earth now, getting them out from under the Roman hand. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he takes their thinking still then, and he does this shift, and he he gets their minds off of this kingdom here now being set up on this earthly realm, this earthly uh, situation here. And he brings it back to, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now remember, the power of the Holy Spirit here was for them to go and preach the gospel throughout the world, the known world. But also the power of the Holy Spirit is such that he does things in the individual. So you could see this in the life of Peter, where at one point Peter denies the Lord, and it's not too long after that when he receives the power of the Holy Spirit, not just to preach the gospel, but the power of the Holy Spirit did something in his life that was not done before whenever he denied the Lord. And you see this with the others also. So in John 3, we looked at last week, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, unless he's born from above, he cannot see, he cannot find, he cannot perceive the kingdom. And that's where most people are today. Then in John 3, 5, he says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't enter. So there is a seeing that's missed by people, and then there's this being birth of the Spirit that is missed by people. So they, they miss seeing and they miss entering. And then also, as I said last week, this word inherit is seen in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's talking about inheriting something or that you would have a portion of something. And so we're going to talk again today about the kingdom of God. We, as it says in the Bible, we are to inherit or we were to inherit a kingdom that has been provided for us from the foundation of the world. We all are to inherit that. 
Now, everyone who is a Christian will at least inherit heaven. So as, as we'll go on here, remember, heaven is not the same as the kingdom of God. When you read your Bible, when you read about the kingdom, people associate that word with heaven. But heaven is not the kingdom of God. So for the sake of illustration, as I said last week, this area here, and we'll say this is kind of like a rectangle, it will, we'll say this is the kingdom of God. And whenever we come to Jesus, he comes to us, he is the door. Jesus says, I am the door by which you can enter in here. So we enter into the kingdom. Now the kingdom includes heaven. The kingdom includes various things. For example, God's rule or reign in the universe. The kingdom deals with the future kingdom that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to set up on earth. The kingdom area refers to, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. And also the kingdom deals with this vast, hidden spiritual realm. So when you read the Bible, you see the word kingdom. It's not just talking about heaven. It's talking about all these different things. It's talking about the kingdom of God being within you. And, and Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom, especially in Matthew and also in Mark. And we're going to get to some of that later. Now he also says, and you see this in Corinthians, you see this in Galatians. Maybe we should just turn there real quick. Galatians 5, verse 18 talks about being led of the Spirit. Verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, or they are evident. And then he starts to, to tell you some of the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, uh, lewdness, jealousy. And he goes on and says, wrath, selfish ambition. Now, let me say this. Mainly when we read this, we think that's referring to those who are not Christians, and it is. But he doesn't qualify it that way. He says that if those things are in a person, let's see, it says it here somewhere. Verse 21, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things. So if there is something in the heart and life of a Christian, for example, selfish ambition, or maybe they have envy, or maybe they are uh, a, a very angry person, everything sets them off. Now, they can go to God with that, and the Lord can work in his time to filter those things out of their life. But if they're not too interested in that and they're holding on to that, this, this, this portion of Scripture in the Bible says, those that practice such things will not inherit. It doesn't say that the person is not a Christian. It's saying that there is not going to be the inheritance in their life that the Lord has intended. So he goes on and talks about that. 
So once we go in through the door, being Jesus, we enter into the kingdom of God. Now this area, this realm, is where salvation is. Salvation is contained in the kingdom realm. So that when you're in here, now you are to be experiencing different aspects of the salvation that God has provided for you through Jesus Christ. Now, in Corinthians, it says this, 1 Corinthians 4.20, The kingdom of God is not in word, but it is in power. And so we see this in the life of Jesus where he performed miracles, and it also is talking about conversion. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. So that's talking about the kingdom of God coming to Peter in power to convert him or to change him inside, in their, in their heart, so that now they can strengthen other people, other brethren. And so you have miracles, you have conversion, you have enlightenment, you have sanctification, and you have this power to change the individual's heart. So the kingdom of God comes to us in power. So what we are powerless to change in our own thinking, in our own, in our own power and will, and we try not to do this or that because we know it's not right, or whatever it may be, the kingdom of God comes in power and changes something in us. For example, and I have seen this, where certain people had anger issues, and they come to the Lord, and that's there in them. The, the residuals of that are there in them. And in certain situations, that still comes out. That, that doesn't mean they're not a Christian. It means that God has not changed them in that area yet. And so the kingdom of God will come at a particular time, who knows when, and will change that particular characteristic, that negative characteristic in them, and now the wrath and the anger that was in them all their life, now it's gone because the kingdom of God is in power and has power to change the individual's heart. And, and that's a tremendous part of the gospel. Now also, in uh, Matthew in particular, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why do you speak with all these parables? And Jesus says, I speak with parables because it is given to you to understand the kingdom. The kingdom is given to you, not for those who are outside. But as Christians, we always want to explain everything to everybody, thinking that if we can explain it the right way or the best way so that they see it, that it'll be okay now that they'll, they, they see it, that they'll receive it. But that's not true. And Jesus said, these things are hidden from certain heart conditions. And so that's the way it is. And you see that in the parable of the sower. Different heart conditions will receive and, and move in certain things. Other heart conditions will not. And so this is a, a, a different a thing than what the disciples had thought and what the Jews had, had thought and understood, or thought they understood. Jesus comes by and he says, hey, we're not going to give them because of their heart condition of the kingdom. That's for you. 
Now, the kingdom, this realm, is a place of abundance. So Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So the more abundant life that he wants to give you as a Christian will be found in the kingdom realm. Becoming closer to the Lord in relationship, closer, fuller, deeper walk with the Lord is going to be found in the kingdom realm, nowhere else. Now, outside here, Jesus says we're the thieves and all these other things. The drunkards, everything, that's all outside here. But see, now we have been brought into the kingdom. Now the Lord wants to, to continue to work in the heart and life so that now we, have, we see, we perceive, we've entered, and now there are many things to inherit as a Christian. See, it's not just going to heaven because heaven is just a small part of the kingdom realm, the kingdom of God. It's just a small area. And many times Christians have their eyes and they focus upon heaven and that's all they want. That's all, you know, I can't wait to get out of here. You know, everything is about going to heaven, going to heaven, going to heaven. Now, I think going to heaven is great. You know, we all want to go to heaven, yes. But remember, that is just a small part of this kingdom realm. And a focus upon just that will hinder the Christian in inheriting certain things that the Lord has prepared for them. Now, in Psalms, it says this. This is Psalm 145, 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Well, see, that's because the salvation obtained in the kingdom will be in you everlasting. So what you obtain, what you uh, inherit, what you come into in the kingdom of God will be everlasting in your heart and life. Because the kingdom of God, as he says, is an everlasting kingdom. Now this is just not a, a New Testament thing. This is also in the Old Testament. And I'll read one scripture here. This is Exodus 19.6. And you shall be to me, this is the Lord speaking, to Moses, pertaining to the children of Israel. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So he says, you shall be a kingdom of priests, and that's a consecrated one. You shall be a kingdom of consecrated ones. But remember that the, the wilderness Israelites did not come in to this fullness, did not come in uh, to this area that the Lord had for them to inherit, and they stayed outside here. So even though the provisions were made for all the Israelites to become consecrated ones, to move in and inherit certain things in the kingdom, they fell short, they did not have faith, they stayed outside. Now, pertaining to you and I as Christians, we are birthed into the kingdom. But what happens when we're here, once we're in here, is of extreme importance. And I want to show you in a little bit what it is that will propel you into all these different areas here in the kingdom so that you can perceive, you can enter, you can uh, inherit all these things that the Lord has prepared for you. It's going to take certain things on your part and my part. 
it must. Now remember that this kingdom realm is a spiritual realm. It is, Paul talks about the mystery, the mystery of the gospel. And I personally believe, it's a, of course, we know it's a mystery to people in the world. I mean, they look at this and they have no understanding. They have no clue. They, they think that they, they can see and they think that you're wasting your time and all that. But they don't see. Also, a lot of what goes on in the kingdom realm can be a mystery to the Christian. It should not be, but with various Christians in various churches, a lot of this mystery that Paul talked about remains a mystery to them for certain reasons. There's reasons why it remains a mystery. So Paul says this, Let a man so consider us as the servants of Christ. He's speaking from his perspective, and him and Timothy and the others, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul gives certain mysteries in his epistles. He gives them to certain groups, certain churches, and so forth. And Jesus gave that not to the, the multitudes, but to the disciples, to those who were following after him, were the ones that uh, understood the parables, and they were the ones that the mystery of the gospel was unfolded to as they walked with the Lord. Now, I want to show you something. The kingdom realm is set up so that kingdom principles will be what propels you in the kingdom. See, just being birthed from above and, and coming over to this kingdom area now, I mean, that's good. That's where we start. But that's not the end. That's not where we're, we're to stay. There are certain principles in the scriptures. And you might want to write these down when I give them. I'll give you the scripture. And then I'll, I'll read the scripture. I have some of them in my notes here. Because these, for every single one of us, will propel us in the kingdom to obtain certain things that the Lord has prepared for you. You know that the Lord has prepared the kingdom for you. You know that the Lord has prepared certain things in the kingdom for you. But just because, just like the wilderness Israelites, just because He has prepared these things does not mean that we will acquire what is there in the kingdom. It doesn't mean that at all. So if my mindset is, well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, now I can just sit back and kick back and relax and that's it. Nothing really more is required. Well, nothing really more is required for you to go to heaven. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's that. But now if you're going to inherit, if you're going to come into certain things in the kingdom realm, it's going to require certain things that will propel you into this realm to obtain what the Lord has for you. Now, the first one is Matthew 10, 39. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So if you want to live, you must die. 
And what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom. If you want to live or if you want to obtain this abundant life that Jesus talks about, you must die to certain things. I must die to certain things that are before me or in my life or my desires, whatever that may be. There must be a death so I can find my life. Your life and my life will be found in the kingdom realm. Well, you say, well, I'm already here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what God has prepared for you, what he has prepared for those who are dedicated to him. And so that principle must be at work in the heart of a Christian if they are going to obtain what the kingdom has for them. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, I think. Yeah. You reap what you sow. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he, sow, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption or ruin. See, this is a kingdom principle. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap, will the Spirit reap everlasting life. So the principle here is if you sow to the flesh, now, it's not talking about being outside here. It's talking about here. <laughs> Paul's talking to Christians. Galatians was written to Christians, the church. If you sow to the flesh, you're over here. You're saved. You're going to heaven. If you sow to the flesh, you are going to reap corruption in your life here, and you're going to lose that later. But if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap greater life everlasting life. So the choice becomes yours, becomes mine. It's always in our lap. The Lord provides now, what are we going to do? So just this one, one thing, one kingdom principle, sowing to the Spirit, will propel you. It will, it will propel you into places you have no idea. You'll start to see things. The Lord will start to do things in your life like he's never done before. Why? Because you're sowing to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Now, I don't need to explain what sowing to the flesh is. Hopefully, you know what that is. So that one thing alone, if I don't put any more down here, this one is extremely important because it will enable you to come into certain things and to be able to partake of certain things in the kingdom that you could never have partaken of before. So that's so to the flesh, so to the spirit. This is a very common thing. And hopefully the Lord can work in our lives to where we're sowing in the spirit. So I see three types of Christians. One, they sow to the flesh a lot. And they reap ruin in their life. Then you have the other type of Christian who sows to the Spirit and then sows to the flesh. So it's like back and forth type of thing. Then you have the third type is what Paul, is the reason Paul is putting this in here is because he wants to see the third type of Christian and that is sowing to the Spirit. That's, that's your life, you're sowing to the Spirit. Luke 14, 11, and also Matthew 18, 4. I won't put that up there. 
For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's a kingdom principle. And see, that is to be in the heart. You can't just say, well, I'm going to humble myself, and now because I say I'm going to humble myself, that it's going to be there in my heart. I mean, that's a good start, but yet, see, it it takes more than that. It, It takes a work of the Spirit in your life to just down, stay down. You know, it takes quite a work of the hand of God upon your life to keep you down, to keep you there, to keep me there. And we can be humbled in a situation, a circumstance, and then before you know it, we're out of that thing, and then right away, we're coming up. But I don't see that as the work of the Spirit that He wants to do. Many times the Lord will do that time and time again to try to keep us down. But hopefully we catch on to what he's trying to do and allow him to keep us down. And it has nothing to do with walking around and being soft-mannered and soft-spoken. That's not necessarily being humble at all. Because I've seen people that have done that, and in their heart they weren't. They weren't what they portrayed in the natural realm was not where they were in the kingdom realm. So God knows that. He sees that. can't fool God. And then in Matthew 18 says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And the word greatest means elder. I looked that up. It's one of the meanings of it, elder. So this, basically, an elder is to be one who is humble. That's where they are. They're living low in their heart. They're living low. And he says, it's therefore whoever humbles himself as a little child. And there's a lot there in the little child in that phrase. He is the the greatest or he is the elder in the kingdom of God. So Because of the work of the spirit that is done within them. That's the only reason. The only reason. You know, it's, it's not anything about position necessarily. It's the work of the Spirit within. In John 12, we can, I think we'll turn there. Turn to John 12 with me. Now, we hear these things taught and preached, these kingdom principles. And sometimes I think that the impact of the Word of God becomes lost on Christians. So that the word comes, or you sit down and you read this, and you're, you fly right through that, and you, you never, the word never has an impact in your life. So the Bible is not just to be words on a page. The, 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 the reason why the Bible is so different from a novel is that the Spirit of God will take these words and will breathe upon them and he takes them off the page, and he brings them and puts them in your heart. That's the big difference. And so we hear these things, and you know, even if we're not capable at this particular time to move in certain things, still there is to be within us a desire to. Because a desire to move in these means that we have a desire to move further in the kingdom. So if these things are missing, 
we're not getting too far. We're going to be close to the entrance, the door, Jesus, you know, when we first come in. That's just going to be basically our whole life. There are Christians who are Christians 30, 40, 50 years, and even going to church that never make it much further than the beginning point here. I mean, they may learn things from the Bible and so forth. They may hear sermons and what have you. They may uh, have a daily devotional and they, they read and they're good people. But it has nothing to do with being a good person. We're talking about something further, something fuller, something that, that is beyond here that we are to come into. And so in John 12, verse 24... Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. This is a kingdom principle. He who loves his life will lose it. So you can be right here in the beginning here, and you can love your life. It's not that you're going to lose your, your salvation it's not going to, you're going to lose your, lose your physical life. It's you're going to lose your life as far as the kingdom realm. As far as, as what all these different things could have done in you and what you could have come into, you will lose. He who loves his life will lose it, but he, he who hates his life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. So the principle here is that the, uh, the grain, the wheat, is to fall into the ground and die. So, you, you know, you no longer have a life out here. You can't go back. I mean, people go, try going back to the world. But the Lord ruins you for the world after you walk with them for so long. And nothing out here is, is appealing. Nothing. To me, I, there's nothing out there. I, I could care less about any of it. But see... Now we're in here. We can come into the kingdom initially and still not have a, a death, you know, for whatever it is the Lord is dealing with us. See, pay attention to what the Lord is dealing with you personally in your life. Because if he wants you to die in, this, in some, some area there, just let it go. See, because if we don't, we won't come into certain life. We will lose certain things that he has for us. But if we can let it go and say, Lord, that still appeals to me, work in my life. So it doesn't appeal to me any longer. So that that can be left off and I can die to that. Now, when, I, when I'm in that point there where I haven't died yet, it still may be appealing to me and I don't see the result or the life out here that I'll come into. But if we can trust the Lord... If we can have faith, remember, they didn't enter. The Israelites didn't enter because they did not have faith. If we can have faith in God, and you're going to need faith in God to have these kingdom principles operating in your life. You're going to have to believe God, you know, sow your life. You have to believe God that, you know, you continue to sow that there's going to be a reaping, even though you don't really see it. So, so we must allow the Lord, if we're going to move into the kingdom realm, we must allow this corn of wheat, this grain of wheat. What grain of wheat? What grain of wheat? You <laughs> and me. We're the grain of wheat. That grain of wheat is to fall to the ground and die. 
Die to what you want. Die to your life here, your self-life, so that much grain is produced. So that, that's another kingdom principle. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. Let's turn there. Paul says the same basic thing that Jesus says, but he kind of adds what he went through in his life to this. He uses other words, but it's the same basic thing. And, you know, as Christians, somehow we must allow the Lord to bring these things into our life so that they're operational. Because if we don't, we're going to lose out on what's going on in the kingdom realm. Most Christians, I think, or maybe I shouldn't say most, a lot of Christians, Christians are not aware of certain things going on in the, in the kingdom realm. It's hidden to them. And I believe that in Galatians, is it 5.16? That if we are not walking in the Spirit, we're going to miss out on certain things. We're not going to see certain things. Certain things are going to be a mystery to us pertaining to the kingdom. In Philippians 3, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, this is Paul, and he's talking about when he was a Pharisee. You know, all the things he did as a Pharisee, all the things he wanted to do, what he wanted to obtain, uh, he wanted to be uh, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He wanted to have position and honor. He wanted to work his way into heaven. All that pertained in the law. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I looked up this phrase. When I go into one of the study helps I have, the interlinary, it, it, it has the words, uh, these two words are together, all things, and it gives you a number under there, and then from that number I can look up Strong's, I can look up Thayer's, I can look up Loanita's, I have all these lexicons in, in the Greek. And when you start to look at some of these words, you find some things that are interesting. The English translators translated this as things, all things, and that's true. Paul counted the loss of all things. But the Greek, when you look at that word, and you start to really get a feel for the word, it's talking about all, not just things, all. All. So he counted the loss of all, whatever all was. All his desires, all his hopes, all the things he wanted, all of what he wanted to do, maybe all the things, too, that he wanted. He counted them all as loss or rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, he says in verse 9. And then he says this interesting thing in verse 10. Paul the Apostle, who had this relationship with God, who the Lord was using to write these epistles, and he says that I might know him. Well, see, the knowing of him is contained in the kingdom realm. So that we cannot know him greater, we cannot know Him in a fuller measure, we cannot know certain secret things, there's, there's certain things we cannot know the Lord in unless the kingdom, these kingdom principles are functioning in our life. 
Now, when we start to function in a lot of these things or all these things, then there is this, the, the Spirit starts to propel you. And that's why I think it takes time. That's why I think it takes time. So that, you know, sometimes it takes 20, 30 years before the Lord starts to really move you. Because in the beginning, there's certain things the Lord has to do and filter out of your life. And then it, it takes a while to get some of these kingdom principles that work in our life. So it, it, that may not happen in 10 years. It may not happen in 15 years. You may have to just plot on, keep on moving and moving with God, walking with Him. Because, you, you know, you have not been able to, to this point, function in certain of these things. But whenever the Lord starts to bring you into these things and you start to, to move in these kingdom principles, now all of a sudden, after you've been saved now maybe 15, 20 years, then, then there starts to be a progression there. And that's why I believe that many times at the end of a person's life that walks with God, they really have something because now they've been really propelled into certain things in the kingdom because they're moving in kingdom principles for many years. 2 Corinthians 8. Are you still following me? I'm making this as simple as I can. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. To become rich, you must become poor. Do you want to become rich? Well, I'm not talking about materially. Do you want to become rich in Christ? Do you want to have a richness in your life that is put there by the Lord? It's not fabricated. It's not this thing for show. But it's what the Spirit of God, through the working of the, these principles in your life for many years, what He has done. Do you want that in your life? Do you want the richness? Do you want to be rich? Well, if you want to be rich, you must become poor. That's the kingdom principle. You cannot be enriched. And I believe that's why a lot of Christians, uh, how can I say this nicely? Do not have much in God. They are not mature Christians and don't have substance. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm talking about substance and richness. Because they are not moving in this kingdom principle. And this is in 2 Corinthians. For you know that the grace of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. Well, we like that. <laughs> that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. See, so Jesus, for your sake, became poor. See, Jesus formed the world through his word. It says in Hebrews. He was there in the beginning. He formed the world through his word. Jesus had a throne in heaven. The G Jesus dwelt with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And of course with the angels. So we have no idea of the tremendous richness that the Lord had then. But yet he puts all that aside. He becomes poor, comes to this life, 
And from the manger to the cross, he was poor physically in every other way. Poor as far as uh, his, himself, not wanting what he wants. And he does that so that you might be made rich. Now, there's a kingdom principle there that he shows us with his life. So that you would become poor, that others now that aren't Christians, maybe, or maybe that they are now, that you can make them rich through your poverty. See, so you become poor, and the Lord enriches you. Now you can make others rich through your, the poverty, which you had to go through to become rich in him. Second Corinthians 12. Now, there are probably more kingdom principles than this, but these are quite enough to move in. Do you want to be strong? We all say yes. Don't we want to be strong? You know how you become strong? By becoming weak. That's, see, this is why people do not understand, do not receive the kingdom of God, the kingdom realm. Because everything seems to be opposite of what you would think. Well, if I want to become rich, why should I become poor? If I want exalted, why should I be humbled? If I want to be strong, why should I become weak? See, that's why it's so hard for people to move in certain kingdom principles because they're contrary to some of the things that are moving in their own heart. That's why the Lord has set up these principles the way He has so that when the principle comes, now there's a decision. Are we going to move in what we have in our heart or are we going to say, oh, yes, Lord, Help me to move in the kingdom principle. So if we move in the kingdom principle, then the kingdom of God's available to you. It's available to you. It's right there. You're going to be able to go in and inherit all kinds of things. But if I'm going to hold on to what's in my heart, and I'm going to say, well, I want to be strong, but I don't want to be weak. It doesn't work. We will not be propelled in our own ways. The only way we will move in the kingdom of God is in God's ways. So 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmity, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Or when I am weak, it says in, in the Greek it's meaning, then I become a powerful one. Do you want to become a powerful one in God? Well, you need to allow the persecutions, whatever that comes your way, to make you weak. Then you will arise in the power and strength of the gospel. Now, I don't have time, but I was going to touch on outer darkness. There are three places, just real quick, in Matthew where outer darkness is used. And when we, most Christians will fight, fight over this, and they'll say this is talking about, uh, you know, being put in hell, sent to hell. But if you look at the context of each one of those, for example, the first one is Matthew 8, 12. The context is the children of the kingdom. It has nothing to do with the world. It's the children of the kingdom. The next one is Matthew 22:13. It's talking about the marriage of a son and those who were invited to the wedding 
those who were called. It's talking about the called ones. That's the setting for that. The third one is Matthew 25, 30, and that's the unprofitable servant. And you say, well, okay, what then is the outer darkness? Well, I'll give you what I see it to be. Outer darkness is way out here in the peripheral, way out along here. In the outer darkness, you can't see too much of what's going on over here. You can't see too much of what's going on in the kingdom. And whenever people, this is going to be really a shame, but when people get on the other side and they see what was available to them and they see what they, they lost, they're going to be quite undone. You talk about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. This was all prepared for you, but you, know, you decided to stay over here, way, way on the very edge. You know, as far as you can get, get to the edge before you go back into the world. That's where you're staying. Outer, that's the outer area here, the outer darkness. Instead of moving into the light, moving in kingdom principles and continuing on. And also, and I'll, I'll close with, with two things. There are kingdom principles, and then there are kingdom characteristics. Dealing with the mustard seed and, and all that. Jesus was showing certain characteristics that we're not going to be able to get into. But I want to read this. This is Matthew eleven twelve. 12. Now remember, and I said this enough, that the kingdom principles will propel you in the kingdom. But listen to this verse. And I, I had this in the Amplified give us a better, better feel for this. And from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of God has endured violent assault. Did you hear that? The kingdom of God has endured violent assault. And violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent, ardent, ardent zeal and intense exertion. Are you and I, as Christians, are we moving in to seize the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God suffers violence, a violent assault with violent men going after the kingdom like it's a precious stone, a precious jewel. Well, I think a lot of Christians aren't going after the kingdom like that. And in Matthew, Jesus says, and this, this whole teaching here. I believe, fits in with this. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. See, why does he say that? He says that for your benefit. And by the way, seek is a present tense verb, which means presently, here, now, now, you, me. We are to seek the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. And when you come to the latter part of that verse being added, that is a, um, I can't remember, a passive, passive voice verb. You receive the action. So the re reaction you're receiving is all these other things will be added to you. But see, that doesn't work. They're not going to be added to you until presently you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
So this is the reason why I believe Jesus said this, because there's a lot out here in this kingdom realm, the kingdom area, that God has prepared for you.